you know, sometimes a television show comes out and I'm like, ah, really? Why are they doing this? And blah, blah, blah. And one of those shows to me was when they announced that they were doing a What We Do in the Shadows TV show. Because obviously Taika Waititi's movie, What We Do in the Shadows, is bloody brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. My God, if you guys haven't seen Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows, it's the movie that got him the Thor Ragnarok gig. Uh, You've got to go check it out. It's incredible. But... Anyway, they announced that they were going to do a brand new um, television series about it. And I thought, oh, come on. This is just going to be a poor man's version of it. Yes, Taika was involved with it. He wasn't going to be in it per se, but he was going to be a producer uh, and a writer on it and stuff like that. I think he was even directed a couple of episodes. But I still thought this is just going to be a weak version of the movie. The TV show is amazing. I honestly am not sure if I like the show more or if I like the movie more. But anyway, in the few weeks, season three will be getting its debut. But good news for those of you who are fans of the show like me, they have announced that what we do in the shadows, the series, has actually been renewed for season four, even before season three. Uh, gets released. This comes us from the folks at Variety who write, what we do in the shadows has been renewed for season four at FX. Season four is slated to debut in 2022. The news comes ahead of the debut of the show's third season, which premieres on September 2nd. So just in a few weeks, the first two episodes of season three will drop that day and be available to stream on FX and Hulu on the following day. So listen, I, I got, again, is this, pretty much in some ways a carbon copy of the movie version sure which is different characters and things like that but i'll just tell you i laugh hysterically every single episode and i'll tell you what for those of you who watch the show the jackie daytona episode is one of my favorite comedy episodes of comedy television history that's the one with mark hamill is in that one jackie daytona human bartender if you guys have not seen it you absolutely have to watch and see it anyway rob i can't remember do have you watched what we do in the shadows at at all like either the movie or the show what are your thoughts on this oh i i own the movie on blu-ray of course i i you you know to me when i think of the great horror comedies of all time whether it's american werewolf even though it's not just a comedy or or Shaun of the dead what we do in the shadows is like top five of all time. You know, I mean, that movie is genius. It, it, I, I love everything about it. And the show uh, is just as good. And I, you know, spread out over the, uh, the course of a series that when I saw what we do in the shadows is one of those movies where I'm like, what do you, you know, I didn't know much about it. I, someone said it's one of those things like you hear in passing. Oh, you should watch it. It's good. I threw it on. I bought it sight unseen. And let me tell you, there have been few times when I've been so delightfully surprised by something I didn't know much about than the original <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows movie. I mean, you're five minutes in. I'm like, oh, this movie was made just for me. <laughs> Did you see the episode of the show where the original three guys, Taika and the other two guys, appeared in... Uh, yep. I can't remember if it was season one or season two that they did that, but that was amazing. And wh- who was the actress again that was the head of the Vampire Coven? She oh, played the ancient remember. one in Doctor Strange. Why am I freezing on her name? Oh, uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. So Tilda Swinton is like the head of the of the vampires there, and she's called as Tilda. As she should be. Yes, as yeah. she totally should be. Um, anyway, it's f- absolutely fantastic. Now, Aaron, I know you haven't had a chance to watch this yet, have you? 
Well, I haven't seen the TV show, but I loved the movie. Oh, you did see as the much movie. As, I did, yes. As much as I will see probably anything in, that Taika Waititi is involved in, I have the most, like, it, it's not even, I don't even want to call it a crush because it's like 10 levels above that on Jermaine Clement. Like, oh, he's so I great. just, I, I mean, I, I, I can't even put into words how much I just, um, you know, I, I feel like he might be my hall pass if, if Tom and I had hall passes in our marriage, but we don't. Um, I just have the biggest crush on him. And I think that part of it, it's not because of his physical appeal. It's because he's so damn talented. He's so damn funny. And he makes every single role that he plays have this very strange uh uh dripping with sex appeal thing that you just can't put your finger on it but you go i don't know why i'm so turned on but i really am turned on right now by whatever it is that he's doing and it's really <laughs> bizarre so even if it's him being uh, uh being a vampire um he's just so hilarious and talented and I don't know why I haven't been watching the television show. Maybe because there's 85,000 streaming shows on and I didn't even realize that that was one that was currently playing. So I'm going to go watch the TV show right now. Um, if anybody needs me, don't call me. I will be busy. Got you. You seriously have no idea what type of a binging treat you are in for to watch the first two seasons. And you must text me once you get to the Jackie Daytona episode. I think it's in season okay. two. When you get to the Jackie Daytona that. episode, you must absolutely text me. Anyway, and when does season three launch? Because you said season September three is 2nd. about to come out. September Great. 2nd. They're going to drop the first two episodes on September 2nd. It's And again, they don't have a ton of episodes. And it's only I think they're only like half-hour episodes, too. So you're going to be able to get through pretty quick. But the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Are you somebody who watches what we do in the shadows? What do you think of them greenlighting season four? I'm extremely excited about this. Whatever you guys are feeling about it, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move on to another off the top, and that is this. You know, a little while ago, we talked about on the show that uh, the city of New York was implementing rules now that you were going to have to show proof of vaccination in order to do a number of indoor activities, restaurants, bars, gyms. We weren't sure if that included movie theaters, but it turns out it does. It includes movie theaters, which was key to what we were talking about. And of course, regular live per, uh, live on stage theaters as well. And we talked about wondering if this was something as the Delta variant cases start to spike, at least among those who are not vaccinated, as Delta variants start to spike and all that kind of stuff, we wondered about whether or not other cities and areas in the U.S. would start to implement the same rules. Well, we got an answer for that. Because according to the Los Angeles Times, and this has been reported in a number of outlets, uh, Los Angeles City Council has just passed a resolution uh, that was unanimous that is going to implement similar rules in Los Angeles. Now, it doesn't go to effect right away. They have to pass it on to uh, a particular board that has to figure out how to implement it. But it looks like this is coming to Los Angeles. We're in Los Angeles. Movie theaters, restaurants, stores, gyms, bars, things like that. You're going to have to show proof of vaccination in, able to, in, in order to be able to enter the facilities. Now, of course, the main thing we're concerned about here and that we're wondering about here is how this affects movie going and movie theater going. And Rob, I remember you and I talked about this when we discussed uh, the New York situation because we said it could be a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Like, because on one hand... It 
for people who are vaccinated but still nervous about Delta variant being too close to infected people, it may be very encouraging for them to go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to go out to the movies now because I know the only people who are going to be in that theater are people who are vaccinated. Yay. But the other side of that coin, of course, the other edge of the sword is the fact that, you know, uh, this basically cuts out 47% of the population in, I mean, there's a little bit higher than that in Los Angeles, but it it cuts out a significant chunk of the demographic who could possibly go to see the movies. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I know there are a lot of people celebrating this. There are some people decrying it. I... For me, I got to say, I personally like the move. I do. I mean, it's still up to an individual to choose to get vaccinated or not, but it just now means that people who don't want to be around unvaccinated people don't need to be. So I can see both sides of the argument. I can. I lean towards liking this move. Rob, what do you think about this move and specifically how it's going to impact movie going in Los Angeles? Well, I mean... (laughs) What it's it it's infections have gone up seven hundred percent amongst unvaccinated people. Uh, I think it's just academic, really. I'm I mean it it. it <laughs> I I mean I know it becomes a civil rights issue or for people, but you know there's also there's also we're in the middle of a, a global pandemic, and um, for me, I'll go to the movies more with the assurance that people have to show vaccination cards. It just makes it because just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get the virus. It just so it mitigates circumstances and what what can happen. But we can all become reinfected. I mean, it's not the the, the vaccination is not a it's not some kind of a it's not plot armor. It's not going to. But so you can still get sick. It just makes it so it's really it mitigates the 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 effects. So I would just rather not be around to anyone that's unvaccinated. Just as yeah. a matter of course, I mean, and and I think we're seeing that play out in our cities, and we're seeing the 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 situation is getting worse. The transmission is getting worse, and you know, people who are unvaccinated become incubators for disease. And uh, epidemiology is not a difficult science to understand. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I I think it's a good thing. Now, one argument that I've heard. Uh, some people mention guys is that, you know, a study came out the other day showing that around the country, basically it's generally around the 97% mark, 97% of COVID cases right now are amongst unvaccinated people in Los Angeles. It's even higher. It's about 98% of uh, COVID cases in Los Angeles area now are unvaccinated people. About 2% are vaccinated. So uh, one argument I've heard from people is saying, if you're vaccinated, why do you care if somebody besides you is unvaccinated? Like you got a massive, massive chance of still being perfectly fine, but there's still that 2%, a little bit of a thing there. So that could be a bit of a problem. Aaron, I know you and I, you know, we were talking privately about this, I, th- I think about a week ago, we just about vaccinations, the move by New York and stuff like that. Are you surprised that Los Angeles is following the same uh, route? Do you think it's a good idea? And how do you see this uh, specifically affecting, you know, that the, the the art of movie going and people going to the theaters here. Uh-oh. I'm not surprised at all. Are. As soon as I heard that it was happening in New York, I knew that we were going to be next. Um, and especially once 
it, it once businesses started overwhelmingly and gleefully accepting this, uh, you know, yes, of course, there were businesses that said, no, that's, you know, it's bullshit. We shouldn't have to do this. But a lot of businesses in New York said, yes, please. And thank you. And a lot of their patrons said, yes, please. And thank you as well. And there were certainly people who were naysayers and were disappointed, um, as there always will be. Here's there. There's so many reasons why I am in strong support of this. Number one, Children have to be vaccinated in order to be able to go to public school. They have to have their basic, you know, Tdap and whooping cough. They have to have their basic vaccinations. Why? To protect the students that they go to school with, to protect students who are uh, who are potentially immunocompromised, and also so that these things don't become massive outbreaks. And because there are so many parents who refuse to vaccinate their children, we've seen you know, diseases from the 1800s rare back, you know, and all of a sudden there's a whooping cough outbreak and people get so upset about that. That is what we're trying to prevent happening here. The reason why there is a Delta variant, the reason why this thing keeps mutating is because we have not been able to reach herd immunity. You know, back before there was a vaccine, everybody, the people who were uh, advocating for no mask wearing, we're saying, oh, let's let everybody get COVID and then we'll have herd immunity. Yeah, we'll also lose a percentage of the population. And that is many, many people like in the millions. So no, that's not a good way to do that. Um, the way of reaching herd immunity is for enough people in the country to be vaccinated so that this thing doesn't have the ability to find hosts and mutate. And as Rob and John, you were both saying, the predominant number of people who are getting really sick and being hospitalized and dying from this are people who are unvaccinated. Yes, I as a vaccinated person can carry it and I can spread it. But, you know, in the case of my friend Nick Cordero, who had who was 42 years old, perfectly healthy, spent 42, you know, spent 99 days in ICU and ultimately died from complications of COVID. It wasn't the fact that he got COVID. People go, well, I got COVID and I was fine. It's about the viral load. It's about the amount of COVID, of the infection that is in your body. People who are vaccinated don't transfer as much of a viral load and therefore the person that they might infect is not going to get as sick. You know, um, so I, I think this is a great idea. I understand that, yes, there are still people that for historical historical reasons have every right to be um, uh, cautious of the medical industry as a whole. I'm not I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. OK, medical bias, 100 percent and medical racism, 100 percent are real things. And I understand that hesitation. What I would encourage anyone who is coming from that perspective to do is to talk to other people in your community, talk to your church leaders, talk to doctors, you know, that are in your community and get their perspective on it. Don't just talk to your mom or your best friend or your neighbor. And for people that are just going to alternative media sites and look, looking up stuff, please go to the people. My sister-in-law is one of the top infectious diseases doctors at Penn. She has been our go-to for information. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have her as a resource. Um, but like, you, we have to start listening to the science. And while, yes, there may have been some outlying cases of people having adverse effects to the vaccine, they are in the far, far, far inferior number to the number of people that we've lost to COVID. And the only way that we are going to get out of this thing is if we all come together, 
look at our fellow neighbor and say, hey, I'm not just doing this for my health. I'm doing this for the health and safety of everyone around me. That's the only way we're going to get through this. So, yes, I'm a big supporter of this. And if this is if this means that one more person gets vaccinated and doesn't either die themselves or spread enough of a viral load to their neighbor to kill their neighbor, then great. I'm all for it. And you know what? If you have a problem with this and you think this violates your civil liberties, well, then clearly you shouldn't be wearing your seatbelt in your car. And clearly you shouldn't be taking off your shoes at airports. You know what? We haven't had anybody try to bring a shoe bomb into an airport that we know of for 20 years. Yet, for some reason, I still can't bring a bottle of shampoo into the airport. So these are all things that we have to do. We have to sacrifice some of our freedoms so that everyone else can, whether or not it's, you know, just something to make everybody feel better. We have to do this to for the sake of everyone's health. So, guys, we're seeing this now in New York. We're seeing this in Los Angeles. We're seeing how this is now affecting the places you can go, particularly movie theaters. What do you guys think about this? And do you think now that the two biggest cities in the U.S. are implementing these things, do you think it's going to spread a little bit further? What are you guys thinking about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down... Let's move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we should have as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe... Just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Quirky Joe, who writes, Hey, John and everyone, hope all is well. According to Variety, the Lord of the Rings series is due to start production for season two at the start of next year. But... The location is switching from New Zealand to the UK. Variety suggests this isn't a surprise with Amazon filming a number of projects in the UK. However, without knowing what's required of locations for the season, won't it feel strange to think of a Middle Earth minus those New Zealand landscapes? Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, this is, first of all, you guys know I am incredibly excited and incredibly stoked about this brand new Lord of the Rings series. I, I'm very excited. I, I can't think of something else coming out on television that I'm actually more excited for uh, than this. I'm super pumped. Now, they have now done production on season one, and they are going into post-production now that they say the post-production is going to go all the way into June of 2022 for season one, which is why it's not coming out until later in 2022. But they're already working on season two. And one of those things that's happening is that they are moving locations from New Zealand to the UK. This comes to us from Variety, who writes, Amazon's upcoming Lord of the Rings series is moving production from New Zealand to the UK for season two. The untitled series was picked up for multiple seasons at the streamer when it was first ordered back in 2017. Filming was completed on the first season of the show on August 2nd. Season one post-production will continue in New Zealand through June of 2022, while pre-production on season two will begin concurrently in the UK after the first of the year. So what this comes down to then 
is how do we feel about this idea of moving? Because look, when you look back at the original Lord of the Rings films, the landscape itself was like a character in the film. The way Peter Jackson utilized the sweeping landscapes and those big, wide, sweeping shots of the New Zealand countryside and all that kind of stuff, it totally became an integral part of the DNA of the Lord of the Rings. So they go back for season one to do that in New Zealand as well, and that's great. And what I'm about to say is probably a little bit unpopular, but I think it's going to be perfectly fine that they're moving. And, and guys, I'll even go so far as to say this. I bet if they didn't announce they were moving the production from the New Zealand to the UK, I bet most people wouldn't have even noticed. If they just kept quiet about it and the show just happened, I bet most people wouldn't even notice. I think they know what the look is. They know what their world is going to feel like. They're going to establish that with New Zealand first. And then they're going to move it over to the UK. And honestly, I don't suspect it's going to have any sort of a bump at all. And if, in fact, Amazon is already doing a lot of their production in the UK, it just makes it more efficient for them to do it over there. So personally, for me, I really don't see there being... Now, if I was from New Zealand, I would probably have my feathers getting ruffled a little bit. But honestly, other than that, I don't think this is going to be an issue. Aaron, as somebody who's gone on and shot, I mean, did you guys not shoot Spartacus in New Zealand? Is that where you guys shot? We did. We shot in Auckland and I had the great joy and immense pleasure of being able to travel all over the North and South Island. And it is truly one of the most incredibly beautiful places on the planet. So you hear about them now moving production because you've shot in different locations for different shows and different projects before. Do you think the audience is really going to, is this going to have a profound effect on the show itself and the aesthetic of the show? Or do you think most people won't really notice it when it happens? It will have no effect on the show's aesthetic whatsoever. And here's the reason why. Um, number one, first of all, kudos to Peter Jackson, because what he did was he really put New Zealand on the map as a location for where people want to shoot. And I think that his purpose in doing all of the, you know, show, showcasing New Zealand as an additional character was twofold, not only to create an environment for this movie, but also to encourage other filmmakers to come to New Zealand and support his home country as a filmmaking spot, which it has become very much so. Um, so good for him. I truly believe that during season one, this was already a conversation of, okay, for season two, this is what we're going to do. It makes more sense economically to have all of the actors already, you know, I mean, the actors and the crew already in the UK. Um, a lot of this stuff for season two is going to be shot on green. Right. I can guarantee you that during season one, they shot plates. Uh, plates are, I'm, I'm sure there might be a more technical version. And for all of you out there who work in post-production, Rob, you could probably speak better to this than I can. But, you know, those plates are shot and then uh, they utilize those to be able to shoot things on green screen. So, no, I don't think that anyone who's watching the show will be able to tell the difference. In fact, most of the locations from season one will be used. They'll either reconstruct them as interiors um, on, you know, on sound stages, or like I said, they'll use green screen. You know, the people that will notice the most are obviously the people who are in, you know, production in New Zealand, who sadly will not have to let, have the second season to look forward to for those jobs. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that there's going to be a hiccup in this, but I, I would love for to hear Rob's thoughts on that. Rob, uh, you're hearing about this. They're going to be moving <clears throat> locations. Is this going to be, you know, when we finish watching season one of Lord of the Rings, which is still a year away before we get to do that, when we get into watching season two, do you think the fact that they changed where they shot this thing is going to be jarring to the audience or do you think it'll be fairly smooth? 
Well, like Aaron, I, I don't think it'll be jarring at all. I think also what they'll do, too, is is they're going to send out a second unit crew and they're just going to shoot the heck out of both the North and South Islands from mm-hmm. every direction, every possible angle. They'll they'll I'm sure they've already if they haven't already done it, they will. So they'll bank those kinds of exteriors that VFX teams can use. They'll probably be using the volume or, as we know, it, the stagecraft technology they developed for Mandalorian that's now proliferating through the industry. And they said they're moving the sets, obviously, uh, which uh, that's not going to be cheap. But you'll never you'll never know. I mean, with the kind of like Aaron said, the kind of effects technology, uh, you'll never know. The only thing that I I feel bad about is I, too, was in New Zealand on uh, Chronicles of Narnia for uh, 14 months and then worked on the Lord of the Rings special editions in in country. So I've been all over the North and South Island as well. And I love New Zealand. I love the people that work there. I love the crews that we work with. I mean, I I don't think I've ever had more fun working with anyone. And the people that work there are so talented and so enthusiastic that I'm sorry local crews will lose their jobs. But I, I mean, I understand. I, it's just the realities of production and you never want that to happen. And, and a lot of people are coming. I mean, people still always come to New Zealand to shoot, but it's it's rough you know i hate it i having a having that i'm sure people thought wow they're going to be there for years and Mm -hmm. to lose that kind of job security is always a bummer so my heart goes out to the crews that might have found themselves to be out of work yeah which because you're right i think when when i heard too that they were going to shoot the show you just kind of assumed it was always going to shoot in new zealand uh but i get it i mean if they can do it more effectively and more efficiently because they have more of their production of uh, assets and everything like that in the UK already. And that's where they have a lot of the, the places that they need. I get it, it did, but it does carry with it an unfortunate side too. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think this is a tremendous mistake on their part? Do you really think it won't make much of a difference at all? How are you feeling about the Lord of the Rings moving from season two out of New Zealand over to the UK? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking, who writes, Hi, John, Rob, and Aaron. Sony has delayed Venom Let There Be Carnage to October 15th. It's not a huge delay, but it will now release the same weekend as Halloween Kills. Is this a mistake? These films both revolve around action horror-based characters and may entice similar audiences. What do you think? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, so news broke yesterday. I remember because I started seeing a flurry of panic things on Twitter saying, Venom's been delayed again. Venom's been delayed. And I'm like, oh my God, was it opening in like now summer of 22? Is it going to open in like March of 2022? Is it going to open in September of 2022? What is it? They moved it three weeks. They moved it three weeks. So I, it's anything less, I think, than 60 days to me is not really delaying it. It's I call it a move rather than a delay. But yeah. they did move it. Mm-hmm. They moved it three weeks. And so that part's not tremendously interesting to me. It's not really, it doesn't add much to, to the wait for it. The more interesting thing to me is what Kyle brought up in the message, which is, well, my goodness, this now has it opening on the same day as Halloween Kills. 
which Rob, I know you're not as tremendously excited about as I, because you didn't like that last Halloween movie as much as I did. But, but I'm the trailer very, looked good. Yeah, the trailer looks good. I'm very excited for this new Halloween film uh, because I did love the last one as well. That is because you're not wrong, Kyle. A traditional horror movie versus a comic book movie doesn't sound like it's really going for the same demographic. But when you know this Halloween and you know this Venom, you're right. I think they're going to be appealing a lot to many of the same people in the same demographic. And so it's going to be interesting to see these two movies opening up on the same weekend. As for me, I love it. This gives me a double header weekend that I can look forward to now quite a bit over the next two months that I'm very, very excited about. So I cannot wait to see it, but it it is an interesting move. The question now, a lot of people made the assumption and understandably why that this move was made as a result of the Delta variant. As I looked through though, guys, I never found a single thing where Sony actually said that had anything to do with the reason. And, and my, my guess would be if you were going to move your movie as a result of the pandemic, wouldn't you move it more than three weeks? I I feel like they would have moved it to December or February or something like that. But again, maybe it was because of the pandemic. I'm just saying I never saw anything where Sony themselves said that we're moving this because of the pandemic, although some people have, have made that assumption. So now here we have it. It is being moved. And it does raise the question, will this make other ones move as well? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. We don't know. I do know I'm still looking for this movie. And just to get us caught up here, this comes to us from IndieWire who writes, Venom, Let There Be Carnage is the latest directorial effort from motion capture genius Andy Serkis, a sequel to the critically panned but hugely successful 2018 comic book tentpole film Venom, which earned over $800 million at the worldwide box office. Let There Be Carnage finds Tom Hardy reprising his uh, eponymous, I always mispronounce his name, I always trip over my tongue, eponymous, a character opposite new cast edition Woody Harrelson as the villainous Carnage. The movie also marks the return of Michelle Williams to the franchise as the introduction of Moonlight Oscar nominee Naomi Harris as Shriek, the love interest for Carnage. And that is, of course, what we have to look forward to here coming from Venom. Look, for me, to me, it's kind of a non-issue, to be honest with you. Like, when I've heard Venom was moving, yes, obviously, like everybody else, I'm like, oh, no, what? Then you find out it's three weeks. Okay, so whatever. Now, of course, they could still move it again later. That is possible. And then the question arises, will this be the first domino to fall in other movies being moved around? Other than Halloween Kills, guys, because now Halloween Kills may have a motivation now to move dates, maybe. Um, I don't think they have to move dates, but they might. But I don't think this is going to cause a domino effect personally right now. So... I'm okay with the move. Uh, three weeks is nothing too big, so I'm not worried about it. Rob, you hear about this move. What was your first thought when you heard that Venom had moved again? And what do you think the overall implications or lack of implications are there now? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think No Time to Die is going to move into 2022. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but, um, uh, the, the, you know, these, these films, they're too expensive. And whether you think about what I mean, whatever you think, even Fast Nine grossing over six hundred million dollars, these films are leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Even with streaming, I mean, they're leaving um, enormous amounts of money on the table, and the difference could be in three weeks, COVID cases could substantially subside. It could mean a lot of money, and I, I still, man, I I don't think if I was putting out a tentpole movie that cost over a hundred million. I don't think I'd release it in all of 2021, to be honest, because everyone's losing money. 
And I don't know how they, that can be sustainable. But it doesn't surprise me they pushed it a little bit because it gives them three weeks, two weeks. It could be it could be substantial. Well, I mean, you, you raise a good point. I mean, during the, the pandemic stuff, we have seen both negatively and positively. We have things we've seen things change on a dime before. Like one thing looks one way one day, three days later, it looks completely different. So three weeks could be a huge difference. Aaron, you hear about this move. Were you surprised that they moved it? Then were you surprised they only moved it by three weeks? And do you think this will cause a domino effect or do you think this is just an isolated thing? You know, honestly, I think of it as a marketing move. I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about Venom Carnage. And and the them moving three weeks means nothing. It's not like they're going to add any post-production. It's not like they're going to be able to do anything significant to affect the movie itself. But what does it do? It gets people talking about Venom. It also gets people excited about... Uh, for you know i mean there's already pumpkins everywhere you walk into any rite aid or or cvs and they're already halloween has vomited everywhere so we're already getting into the pumpkin spice latte spirit and now we're talking about our halloween movies and i feel for for people like me um who don't necessarily like to go to scary movies but enjoy scary movies it both excites me and terrifies me because I know that spiders are going to be crawling all over the city soon. <laughs> but also I go, wow, what a great month for going to the movies, being able to see Venom Carnage and being able to see Hollywood Halloween kills. Uh, this sounds like a fantastic opportunity um, for people who enjoy scary slash thriller slash comic book movies. I think this is a very exciting news. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, you know, the t- the days when it was all about the opening weekend box office numbers, we're just not living in that world right now. I mean, I think that any movie that opened in 2020 and 2021 and God help us if it goes into 2022, you know, th- those opening weekend box office numbers are going to kind of have an asterisk next to it. Like, mm. well, this was their box office opening weekend. But pandemic, you know, people are going to have there's always going to be sort of an understanding of, well, people just weren't going going to the movies in the same way that they were before. So I don't think that it is going to matter as much right now of like, ooh, which movie made more money opening weekend, Halloween kills or Venom. I don't think that that's a conversation that's that really has any weight this year. So I, I think it's actually better for both movies that this move is causing the internet and you know people on YouTube like us to talk about Halloween Kills and Venom Carnage. It's just giving them um, more advertising, more marketing, more buzz, and more people already stirring up excitement two months in a... Hey, stop it! Sorry, there's a cat fight back here. It only like encourages more enthusiasm, you know, more motivation for people to get pumped up about movies that are coming out two months from now. Well, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this move of Venom? Again, if you were like me, you probably heard everybody saying, they moved Venom. It's like, what? what? But they moved it three weeks. Do you, what do you think if this is significant at all? Do you really think it's just a blip? What do you think is going to happen with that one weekend with them and the new Halloween film? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Abner Green, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, 
With the Delta variant running around, a lot of people have been saying that Disney was going to move Shang-Chi to Disney+. Plus. Wondering if you saw that Bob Chapek just confirmed that they're keeping it as a theatrical exclusive. Do you think this is a good move on their part? Really can't wait for this movie. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Abner. And yes, there has been a, like there were a lot of people speculating that Shang-Chi was going to move to Disney Plus as well. Now, of course, anything could happen. But one of the things we've been saying for a long time is that they announced a long time ago this thing was going to be theatrical only. There was no indication at all that they were ever really considering moving it anyway and that it was just going to come out as planned. And now, sure enough, they have said, and by the way, our friends Ju and Le- uh, Leonardo Urea, that's Ju, J-U, and uh, Leandro Urena both send in super chat badges and live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. But they have now confirmed that, nope, we are sticking with it as a theatrical release only. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who write, With Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings scheduled to hit theaters on September 3rd, the movie is gearing up for release. However, there's been speculation about whether Shang-Chi will head to Disney Plus Premier Access for a hybrid theatrical and streaming release. But today, Disney confirmed Shang-Chi will release only in movie theaters on September 3rd. Now, one of the things that should be pointed out here a little bit is the fact that during uh, an investor call, one of the things Bob Chapek brought up was, you know, at this point, even if we wanted to make the shift to a Disney Plus concurrent with uh, theatrical, we really couldn't because it's too late to do that. And that's not true at all. They, it, it really isn't true. I <laughs> double-checked with one or two people, and it's like, that's not true at all. They totally, if they had really, if they had wanted to, say three days ago, made the move of moving Shang-Chi to both Disney Plus and theatrical, there was enough room there for them to do it. But it's just, they had always intended for this to be a theatrical thing. Now, the other thing that Bob Chapek brought up, which is really interesting, he brought up the fact that he said, we are in an interesting position right now. He said, because now with this new 45-day theatrical window, they said, this is going to be our first film, our first theatrical-only film with this new model, this new 45-day window, and we are very interested to see what's going to happen with that. So they're going to use this as also as a little bit of a data-gathering kind of thing, much like they did when they were first testing out the Disney Premium Access thing. They need to test this out. They need to put that out there and all that kind of stuff. Now, how does this bode for Shang-Chi? I think great. I mean, obviously, it's going to make more money being a theatrical exclusive than otherwise, but how much more? Will it still make, will it make a lot? Will it not make a lot? I mean, that's still way up in the air. There's still a lot of other factors to consider, but I think this is a good move. I'm glad it's staying theatrical only. I'm going to the premiere on Monday, so I'm very excited. True story, I'm actually going to see, I'm actually going to see Shang-Chi three times before it opens. I'm, I'm going to go see it at the premiere on Monday, then I'm going to a press screening on Wednesday, and then I'm going to see it at CinemaCon in Vegas, uh, which, Aaron, you're going to see it at CinemaCon in Vegas as well. <laughs> so we are very, very excited about that, but I think it's a good move. Anyway, Aaron, you're hearing now that they're saying, no, 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 we, like the plan was that Shang-Chi is staying in theaters. What do you think about that move? I think it's a great move. I mean, honestly, if I have a choice between going and seeing a movie in the theater and sitting my lazy butt in my on my couch in my pajamas and watching it, I'm going to be lazy butt 10 times, of, you know, out of 10. That's just me because I'm a little lazy. So, uh, but I feel like I'm not alone in that. And, and, and at a certain point, there's going to have to be this, you know, this equilibrium that we reach where the movie theaters 
take the risk of going, okay, we might not have as many people see our movie as possible. Well, we're going to really have to say we're only releasing this in theaters. And so if you want to see this movie before the next, you know, two months go by, the only way for you to see it is to see it in theaters. And I think that's why we're also seeing movie theaters trying to make people feel more safe. You know, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what their numbers are at the end of the day from this 45 day window. I'm excited. I also believe in movie in in filmmakers understanding what their movie is and understanding, hey, this is a movie that really needs to be seen on the big screen to be appreciated. I mean, in the same way that I always go back to 19, um, 19. Oh, my God, I'm just blanking. 1918. The movie 1918. Oh, 1917. Um, 1917. 1917. Oh my gosh. I'm like, World War I. Aaron, get with the program. Sorry, I just had a brain fart. Um, yes, 1917. That is a movie that it would have been an absolute, it just would have been devastating for it to only have a release on streaming or to have their audience in the theaters cut and only be seeing it on streaming. So I have a feeling with Shang-Chi, they're seeing this, a similar thing. Like, no, this movie is of a cinematic scope. This movie is not a story that we want told just on the small screen. We want people to have the opportunity to see it first on the screen. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to see it in Vegas, obviously at CinemaCon, but I'm also thrilled um, for them. I'm also curious how this is going to affect what's going on with Scarlet, which we're going to talk about next. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you think that's going to have any bearing on what's happening with Scarlet and Disney. I, I don't really think it's going to have any impact at all on this one way or the okay. other on, on the situation there, because, again, this is it would have been different if this was a movie that had planned to be a cinematic and uh, Disney Plus release. But since it wasn't and they just decided to stay the course with one, I don't think it's going to affect it too much. But we are going to talk about that more in just a minute, of course. Rob, um, you know, you can't see Shang-Chi in Vegas with me this year because you were busy. You got things going on. But uh, Wait, but that since... wasn't your first choice? Oh, Aaron, you weren't even my oh, no, fourth he choice. Was, he, you're I always asked, like, his first choice. I asked like seven, eight, nine, ten other people. I'm actually not surprised by that at all. That's why I was so shocked when I got the invite. You are you were totally my second person that I invited after, after Rob backed out. Um, and by the way, Ju sends in a, a super chat batch in live chat. Thank you, man. But uh, Rob, honestly, we, we see this. Not surprising that Disney is sticking with the plan here, but still interesting nonetheless. What do you think about their move now confirming that it's going to stick as a theatrical exclusive only? And and how do you think this is going to shake out? <laughs> they probably looked at Simulu's contract and they're like, yeah, when we signed him, it was uh, theatrical only. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, No, I, I, I think... I, I think, look, I, as far as I know, it was always going to be theatrical only. They, they wanted to keep it that way. I think it's probably smart. Although, you know, it really depends on where. <laughs> I, I don't think they're necessarily – they might – if they have to move it, they will. You know, if they – I mean, we're getting a little close before they can move it. But um, I, I think people have to do what they have to do. I wouldn't – I, I just wouldn't release a blockbuster this year now. Uh, I think mm. that what's going to happen is Shang-Chi is already uh, the movie that people... Shang-Chi and the Eternals are both brand new films. I mean, they talked about Iron Man being a lesser character in the MCU back in 2008. But Shang-Chi and the Eternals are way lesser than Iron Man. So they really need to win over even the most diehard of MCU audience members. 
And I think that it's it's going to be a tough sell for Shang-Chi. As good as that movie looks to me, I, it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like the martial arts are great. I can't believe all the stuff they're packing into it. I can't wait to see it because I've always loved that character since I was a kid. And I'm hoping it's great. But I don't know if staying the course is necessarily the best thing for the movie. Well, but yeah, but when you say that you don't know if staying the course is the best thing for the movie, you're not talking about Disney Plus. You're talking about pushing the release date into 2022. Yeah, into- yes, yes. I mean, I, I look, I think I think now, whether it's day and date with HBO Max or, or, or premium access with Disney Plus where you pay 30 bucks, they're leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table with these movies. I mean, Black Widow proved that. Uh, yeah, okay. You make you maybe make sixty million or even a hundred million dollars through Premier Access, maybe. But w- even with global box office the way it is, what your movie's going to make four hundred, five hundred, six hundred million dollars? I mean, maybe if you get closer to six hundred million, you can say, "Oh, we did okay." But not with the thirteen years of where the MCU has taken us. I mean, these are movies that are. Uh, I mean, even Ant Man makes almost six hundred million dollars. And it's I I it's you're leaving money on the table, no matter what. Even and I I just I think it's a mistake. They should have just pushed all these movies further. So, do you think that every movie in 2021 should get pushed to 2022? Yeah, yeah, that, I do. That creates a lot of problems. No movies in 2020. I know, I I I know. But like, we've got all of these movies that are. No Time to Die is the most expensive James Bond movie ever made. Mm. There is absolutely no way in this day and age it can make its money back. It cannot. And when they release it, if they're going to release it and, and stick to the course, you know, I, I, uh, MI6, which is a James Bond fan site, and I, I did an analysis of this. Uh, they did one, but I contributed, used my own thoughts on my own show. But they pointed out that a movie like No Time to Die has to make now – even with interest payments, over $900 million to break even. It's never going to do that. Uh, Never. And uh, I I think that it's a big mistake to release that film now in this day and age. Same with a movie like Dune. You know, they're going to go day and date. And if you don't have people, I mean, they're going to have to, they might have to do this, but they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're, they're like backed into a position where they have to do it now. So these studios are racking up gigantic amounts of red ink on their balance sheets. And I don't know if at the end of the year they're going to be like, well, that was smart. Yeah, it's look, it's it's tough, too, because the longer you delay, you're creating complications for your industry later on. Yep. You are racking up interest on owed money. It's 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 a tough scenario. I mean, I, I I just know like I do think it is absolutely the right move to keep it theatrical only because you're going to recoup too. you're going to recoup more of your money that way than if you try to do a premium Disney Plus access thing. But should they have pushed it even further back into the next year? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it's it's hard. But then you have to start weighing it out. Does the complications of moving it off again? cost us more money in the long run than the money we're going to lose by putting it out right now and it becomes like a sophie's choice of suckage like it's it's like there's no good answer here for this all i know is that i am personally very excited to see this movie and i'm very excited that i'm going to see it this weekend anyway guys the question is for you 
What do you think about this move by Disney saying that they are staying the course and they're going to keep Shang-Chi a theatrical exclusive only movie on the first one for Disney under the new 45 day window agreements? What do you guys think about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on now to our fourth main topic today. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Aaron Friend, who writes, Hey, John. So the Scarlett Johansson situation with Disney continues to get weirder and weirder. In an article in Variety, they confirmed that Dwayne The Rock Johnson got to renegotiate his compensation package for Jungle Cruise when they decided to put Jungle Cruise on Disney Plus Premier Access. But... Scarlett Johansson's lawyers say that when they tried repeatedly to get Disney to make new arrangements before putting Black Widow on Disney+, Plus, Disney completely ignored her and them. Why the double standard, and does this prove Scarlett's case? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, Aaron. And this whole situation with Scarlett Johansson continues to be fascinating. And it just got ramped up even more. I think a, a lawyer, one of Disney's lawyers just came out and called Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit just a big publicity stunt because, you know, little obscure Scarlett <laughs> Johansson, nobody knows who she is. She needs all the publicity she can get. Um, but, you know, obviously, just to give you guys a quick Coles notes on this, you know, Scarlett Johansson took Disney, is suing Disney for the fact that by putting Disney, by putting Black Widow up on Disney Plus, it violated their contract. It violated their agreement that it was going to be a theatrical exclusive. And by putting it up on Disney Plus, it affected the box office and her salary was directly connected to the box office. So they deliberately ripped her off. That's what her lawsuit is claiming. And it's gotten ugly. It's gotten ugly. I mean, I said before, business is business, so they'll get through this business dispute, and then they'll probably work together again in the future. But guys, this thing has seemed to have gotten so personal now, I, I don't know that I can ever see these guys working together. I don't think she's ever going to want to work with Disney again. I don't know that Disney's ever going to work with her again. I mean, not as long as Bob Chapek is the CEO at any point. But where this has taken a really interesting turn is an article that just came out, I believe it was on Deadline, talking about the situation, no, it was in Variety. Talking about, because a lot of people ask, well, how come Dwayne The Rock Johnson seems perfectly fine? They put Jungle Cruise on Disney Plus Premium Access, and you don't see Dwayne The Rock Johnson complaining, do you? Well, now we know why. Let's take a look at this for a second here, shall we? So, let's go back first to July, when the whole lawsuit thing first started getting filed, Okay. This was in deadline in July 29th. The lawsuit contends that both parties understood that by a theatrical release, it meant that it would initially be released exclusively in movie theaters and that it would remain exclusively in movie theaters for a period of between approximately 90 and 120 days. The industry standard in 2019 when Johansson's agreement was finalized. This is the key part, though. Listen to this. When Johansson's representatives attempted to negotiate with Marvel after the day and date plans for Black Widow were announced, their efforts were ignored, according to the lawsuit. Listen to that again. Their efforts were ignored, according to the lawsuit. So basically this. 
when Disney said, we're going to release Black Widow on Disney Plus Premium Access, Scarlett Johansson's lawyers reached out to Disney and say, okay, well, let's rework the agreement then because this is different from what our contract is. So let's come to the table and let's renegotiate a new agreement. And according to Scarlett Johansson's lawyers, Disney just went, Mwah! no, we're not talking to you. No, they're saying they were completely ignored. All right. Well, that, that's how Disney's playing this. Disney is thinking, no, no, we don't need to read. Our agreement with you is perfectly fine. We, we don't need to renegotiate the deal. Our deal with you is completely fine, and we're not violating our contract. Okay. Well, apparently that's not the case. Because then in Variety yesterday, we got this. That was a sticking point for Scarlett Johansson, who claims that the simultaneous release of Black Widow depressed ticket sales. But it was a conflict that Disney is believed to have avoided with the Jungle Cruise star Dwayne Johnson by changing his compensation structure when the film also bowed on the streaming service at the same time as it debuted in theaters. Listen to this again. The Jungle Cruise star Dwayne Johnson by changing his compensation structure. They changed his deal. When they decided they were going to put Jungle Cruise bowing on the streaming service Disney Plus at the same time that it debuted in theaters. So Disney is saying, oh, yeah, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah. It was never the plan to put Jungle Cruise on Disney Plus. So clearly we'll renegotiate your deal. We'll rework your compensation package, obviously, because we've changed the deal. So we'll renegotiate with you. But when Scarlett Johansson tried to reach out to Disney saying, hey, you just stabbed me in the back. You, this was never part of the deal. Let's renegotiate my contract. Let's renegotiate my compensation package. Going down to the last line there, their efforts were ignored. Their efforts were ignored. Dwayne Johnson? Oh, we'll renegotiate his compensation structure because now it's different. Disney admits when it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson, oh yeah, now it's different. We've changed things. It's different now than what the contract was. So let's renegotiate your compensation package, right? Sure. But when it's Scarlett Johansson, they just ignored her. To me, and listen, with, with every one of these types of things, guys, there's a million fine details that we probably don't know about. So let's acknowledge that right up front. There are a million fine details that we probably don't know about. And all we are gauging on right now is what information is available to us at the moment. And like rational human beings, as new information becomes available, we can change our viewpoint. But for now, with the information that is available to us at this moment, by changing Dwayne Johnson's agreement and changing his compensation package as a result of moving Jungle Cruise from a theatrical-only movie to a Disney Plus premium access release... In my eyes, Disney has just admitted we would have been violating your contract. By, by, by changing Dwayne Johnson's deal, Disney is admitting we're, we're violating the original contract, so we have to make a special, we have to make an arrangement with you. But they did not extend such a courtesy to Scarlett Johansson, even though they did the exact same thing. They moved her movie that was understood to be a theatrical exclusive only movie and her salary was tied to that 
And when her lawyers reached out to Disney to say, hey, let's renegotiate the deal, Disney just ignored her. According to the information we have, for all we know, Scarlett Johansson's lawyers are complete liars, but we have no reason. So let's just assume what they're saying is true for now. Does this represent a little bit of a double standard? Yes and no. I mean, on the no side, you could ar- you could make the argument, hey, listen, as big of a star as Scarlett Johansson is, she is not the de facto biggest movie star in the world. Dwayne Johnson is. For Dwayne Johnson, unlike a Paul Rudd or a Scarlett Johansson or somebody else, yeah, we'll make a special accommodation for the guy who is the most... If any movie star is quote-unquote bankable today, it's probably him. We'll, we made a special accommodation for him. I could see that argument being made. It's not the craziest argument to make. But on a level playing field, when you say to Scarlett Johansson, we don't need to renegotiate your contract because we, we're not actually violating the contract. But then with Dwayne Johnson, we go, oh, yeah, we need to renegotiate your contract. When this exact same situation, listen, it screams double standard to me. It absolutely screams double standard. Anyway, Rob, you take a look at this. They ignored Scarlett Johansson's request for renegotiation, but they gave it to Dwayne Johnson. Uh, what's your first impressions of this? Uh, what's your take on it? Well, <clears throat> I, I here's what I would imagine happened. And again, I'm I have no inside knowledge. I would just assume. I think they figured since Black Widow was a Marvel movie. And judging by the performance of Marvel movies, they weren't really worried about it. You know, they kind of shined Scarlett Johansson on thinking, you know, don't come on, little lady. It'll be fine. You're it's a Marvel movie. But with Jungle Cruise, if you look at Dwayne Johnson's past box office performance, they probably looked at the fact that in when they decided to release Jungle Cruise, it would make substantially less at the box office, especially from his other movies that he'd made. So for him, they're like, listen, we know, you know, we know that Jungle Cruise is not going to make 500 million or 600 million. They probably looked at their projections and they figured they would head off a problem at the pass. And they just assumed Black Widow, there'd be no problem there because Scarlett Johansson's been part of the family. So she's not going to say anything. But Dwayne Johnson was was different. And then when she did say something, and her, her people, let's face it, her people did. And by the way, what people have to understand is Scarlett Johansson is not saying, she's not demanding anything. She's not due. She was contractually guaranteed what she's asking for. And when she brought up, hey, um, you know, every single Marvel movie before this, there's no ambiguity here. We talked about this before, John. You took everybody to the Campia classroom about this. We went through the legal precedents they acted on reliance you explained it pretty well i thought on this show that the contract she signed was the contract like anybody had signed where there was an expectation when she signed this of course nobody thought there's going to be a a release on disney plus concurrent with the movie so that idea the contract she signed she signed it in good faith and what she's asking for is what she is she deserves it doesn't matter how much money it is so don't sit there and go oh the rich elite get all it doesn't matter that doesn't matter. What Scarlett Johansson is owed is what she signed a contract for, and that's the expectation. And what she's asking for is only what she rightfully deserves to get. 
And for doing this with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they obviously crunched the numbers and they knew that he would probably be very disappointed by the box office projections based on what Jungle Cruise would have made in a non-pandemic environment versus what it was going to make in a pandemic environment. They're like, yeah, he's the biggest movie star in the world. Perhaps we should talk to him. And I think that there's, like you said, it's a double standard. It's something that uh, shouldn't have happened. And the fact that they did it doesn't really bode well for Disney's case. I mean, I would think the person that you'd want to keep happy is Scarlett Johansson. But I guess they figured, well, she's already dead. We'll show her the door. She's lucky she got a movie at all. And I think that that kind of thinking is what led to this. And if, if Scarlett Johansson's people really did reach out and they shot, Disney shined her on, well, <laughs> I don't think they have a leg to stand on. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not great. Anyway, Aaron, uh, you know, you hear about this. You know, what's your take on it? I mean, the second that I read it, I was like, obviously, this, there's no surprise here at all. Oh, my God. Sexism in Hollywood. That's such a shocking thing. I mean, as we saw from the Sony hack years ago and all those emails between executives, including female executives who specifically said uh, you know, when when it came to the American Hustle co- contract negotiations, where a female executive who I won't name, but you can look it up, specifically said, we'll pay the girls less money so that they can ensure that all of the men got paid more. Like the, the, the men of American Hustle, just by the simple fact that they were men, ended up getting more points on the back end than the women did, even though the women were... Jenner Florence, Academy Award winner, and Amy Adams, multiple Academy Award nominee. And Jennifer Lawrence, actually, I want to bring it, I know that her quote, is, she's not directly involved in this, but she said something really important, really interesting. She said, when the Sony hack happened and I found out how much less I was being paid than the lucky people with dicks, I didn't get mad at Sony. I got mad at myself. I failed as a negotiator because I gave up early. I didn't want to seem difficult or spoiled. At the time, that seemed like a fine idea until I saw the payroll on the internet and realized that every man I was working with definitely didn't worry about being difficult or spoiled. And that's the thing is that, you know, like Dwayne Rock Johnson probably is like, yeah, I, I, I have seen what, um, you know, some of my among my male counterparts, specifically some of my white male counterparts, have been paid what they've been demanding. So I'm gonna I know exactly what to ask for. You know, Scarlett Johansson, the precedent wasn't set before. You know, it wasn't like Chris Chris Evans had a uh, you know a Captain America movie come out during a pandemic and got to be like, hey, ScarJo, you know, you might want to get on this because this pandemic really fucked everything up. You know. But she is making a very clear case for anyone, especially any woman who comes after her for the next Captain Marvel movie, for the ne- for the next anything that has anything to do with Disney. I guarantee you all of those women are looking at her situation and going, OK, wh- how's this going to play out? Because that's going to affect their negotiations later down the line as well. That they even though even if Disney doesn't ever work with Scarlett Johansson ever again, it doesn't matter. Every woman coming after her is paying very keen attention to this. Um, yes, 100 percent. It's a double standard. And when you talk about, well, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the biggest superstar on the planet. We're not talking. Th- yes. That is something that we could say is an inarguable truth. At the same time, we're not talking about uh, perception. We're talking about legal contracts and what is, you know, like Rob said, what is promised and what is due. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm also curious about Emily Blunt's contract, you know, like was she, I mean, granted she is not the bigger star in the movie, but she is right alongside Dwayne Johnson's. I'm just curious, you know, what her situation is in all of this. And if that's going to come out, you know, later on that she also was supposed to have a, a specific kind of deal that also was not renegotiated. You know, a lot of these things that happen on the studio level or in general, you know, there it, it's all like hush hush under you know it, it via secret emails and f- secret phone calls until all of a sudden variety gets their hands on it and then everybody's like shocked oh my god i can't believe this happened but this is the way the business has always been done the reason why it makes me so upset even though yeah i have nothing to do with scarlett johansson or this movie you know it all trickles down so i look at that and go man scarlett johansson is arguably the most famous you know one of those famous women actresses on one of those famous actresses on the planet and if she's gonna get dicked over then who's going to protect me? She's got the top lawyers in the industry. She's got the best agents and managers in the business. You know, if they can't protect her, her from getting screwed over, how am I going to be protected when I'm doing my tiny little roles? You know, I've experienced uh, a, not a similar, but I've experienced a pay discrepancy based completely on the fact that I'm a woman and it sucks. And that was for a, a stupid little one episode guest star. You know, and, and, and I remember how, how shitty I felt about that. And that wasn't millions upon millions of dollars. But I know that for me in my position, I, I, I look at that and go, man, if they're going to screw her over, the rest of us, we're fucked. So, it's, yeah, I, I definitely look at this as a trickle down situation. Um, and it's 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 not surprising, but it just is very disheartening. And it just makes me go of all the strides that we think that we're making we're just still getting fucked. <laughs> it's uh, look again. Uh, and not I, well. Yeah. And, and not well. And look again, I want to acknowledge one of the things we said right up front. There could be a million unknown little details to this. And as new information comes out, it changes our perception. But if you don't look at this situation and at least raise an eyebrow, then you're intentionally sticking your head in the sand. Like, if you don't look at this situation where Scarlett Johansson is saying, oh, they changed what they were going to do with my movie according to what we contractually agreed upon, and they wouldn't negotiate with me to redo our compensation package, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they changed his movie, and they were more than happy to go and renegotiate his compensation package, and I guarantee you, because it's in the movie with them, I I, I mean, I don't know for 100% fact, but I, I tell you what, I'm sure that Emily Blunt, because she's in that rock movie, I'm sure she got her compensation package probably rearranged too, because Dwayne The Rock Johnson probably got that cover. We don't know. Look at what but, I just said about American Hustle. Yeah. You know, I would say, oh, I'm sure that Emily, that, that Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams got the same back end points deal that, uh, what's his Christian face? Bale, Arrow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that all of the men got, but that wasn't the case. And the only reason we know about it is because emails got leaked. So I'm wondering, you know, what other deals has Disney done similar to the rocks for other male stars? Yeah, that they I, have I need to point something out charge. here because I'm seeing some people, including angel saying something that you're totally missing the point. Somebody like angel in the live chat is saying the rock just made a better deal. No, that's, that's ignorant. The rock didn't make a better deal. Disney agreed to make a deal with him and they refused to make a deal with Scarlett. 
That's that's the thing. To say that The Rock just made a better deal is completely being ignorant of the situation here. They both had deals. And then Disney changed the terms of the deal by releasing their movies on Disney Plus Premium Access. But for one actor, they said, oh, yeah, that's messed up. So we're going to renegotiate your compensation package. But with the other actor, Scarlett Johansson, they said, no, we're not going to renegotiate your compensation package. They didn't even answer the phone. That's the thing. They They didn't even they didn't even engage in the conversation. Yeah, that's what that's the thing. It's not like Scarlett Johansson's people went to them and said, hey, we want to renegotiate the terms. And this is what we're asking for. And Disney came back and said, no, that doesn't work with us. And they weren't able to come to an agreement. They didn't even engage the conversation. It wasn't even something they were willing to entertain that's the difference yeah and and that's that's where it gets like and so if you don't at least raise your eyebrow like i said raise the rock eyebrow to this a little bit then you are just willfully sticking your head in the sand now again there's a lot of details we need to find out we may find out a new piece of information tomorrow that changes our perception of the whole situation but from the information we have in front of us this is pretty effed up this is pretty messed up they had two movies that were supposed to be theatrical. You moved them onto Premium Plus, violating the contracts. So with one actor, you said, fair enough, we'll renegotiate your contract. And the other one said, no, we're not even going to answer her phone call. That's messed up on the surface. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this situation continues to evolve and change over the coming weeks. It's uh, And it's getting dirtier and dirtier. And you know when somebody doesn't have a legal leg to stand on, when they start spewing out more and more dirty stuff and Disney with their like, oh, Scarlett's just ignoring COVID and her thing is sad and this is just a publicity stunt. That's usually the good sign of somebody who knows they don't actually have a legal leg to stand on. So it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. Question is for you guys. What do you make of this development? Finding out that Dwayne The Rock Johnson got Disney to renegotiate and change his compensation package to reflect the fact that his movie was going on Disney Plus and they wouldn't even answer Scarlett Johansson's phone call. How do you feel about that? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And how do you get a live comment or question here on the show? It's simple. If you want a live comment or question read on this show or an upcoming companion video, just simply go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that there. It gives you an opportunity to support our show and thank you very much for all of you guys who do, but also submit a comment or question. And you can enter it in manually instead of just clicking on it by writing in www.streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip once again you'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if it's appropriate for the show and of course you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and again all of us involved with the john campion show thank you guys so much for your support all right let's move on here and get to our first main live question today the first one comes to us from disney gifts by bryce who writes hey john quick story This past weekend, I watched Suicide Squad, and I loved it. Awesome. Uh, Then I was very let down by watching Fast 9. This was the biggest whiplash and enjoyment that I've had since watching since <laughs> watching X Mac 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 Machina, and then Fantastic uh, then Fantastic X Machinima was uh, was awesome. Um, yeah, that that's quite an unfortunate thing. Suicide Squad, and then watching Fast 9. 
I, I feel for you, buddy. I completely feel for you. I really do. That is a vast whip. I like the way you put that. A whiplashing quality. It totally was. Fast 9 was so disappointing. And again, I say that as a big Fast and Furious fan. All right. Uh, Termina writes, Random question. I'm not sure if you would remember this or not, but when the original Scream had come out, uh, was the promotion setting up Drew Barrymore as the lead? I read that somewhere and was curious. Wasn't old enough to remember. Have a good one. Yeah, I mean, Scream is old enough, guys, but I, what do you... I don't know what you guys think about this, but yeah, when I think back on it, the Drew, the one scene Drew Barrymore is in, in um, Scream, that was like half the trailer. <laughs> that, it, just, it made it look like a Drew Barrymore film Aaron do you remember that and, and were yeah you thinking of course that because it was the whole opening and she was the babysitter that was getting the phone call from yeah Rob what about you do you remember that oh Rob we lost your audio you lost my audio oh now it's back oh, here it is it's oh. back again yeah yours out for a second yeah no I, I didn't even touch anything um no she was absolutely set up as the as the uh lead and also because they were doing kind of a riff on uh what is it what was the old when a stranger calls right you know have you have you have you checked the children it's coming from inside the house they were doing <laughs> that kind of because it was all sort of an homage to all of those all of the slasher movies and i i thought it was a brilliant thing and when i think when we all went and saw the movie because i love the first scream i think the first scream works as both a send-up and as a great horror film in, in its in itself i think it's terrific and that whole opening scene was like wow and what happens to poor drew barrymore you're like well all bets are off where's this movie gonna go now and i i thought that was a great way to sell it because you really didn't know what was gonna happen it was a great way to position that movie all right next up it was brilliant it it was like it was the game of thrones uh season finale before there was game of thrones kill your lead actor (laughs) right and now we'll tell the story right off the bat all right next up we got pleasantly obnoxious who writes Cineplex is now offering, for those of you who don't know, Cineplex is the main Canadian movie theater chain. Uh, Cineplex is now offering a movie membership service called CineClub. I was excited about it until I read about it. It's $9.99 a month for one free movie and then some additional <laughs> discounted tickets. To me, a week as a weekly moviegoer, I would rather have nothing. Well, listen, I disagree with you on that. Because if you do go to the movie, say, let's say three times a month, right? The $9.99 a month, number one, is probably cheaper than what your movie ticket was going to be by itself, just right off the bat. So already you're saving money. But if I understand it properly, being a member of the Cine Club then gets you discounts on any other tickets you buy that month, plus, I believe, discounts at concession. So if you go three or four times a month, you ultimately could probably save 20, 30, or 40 bucks a month. Uh, just with those discounts. So, I mean, again, I haven't read it really closely, but is it as good as AMC A-List? No. But if I'm a Canadian moviegoer, if I'm in Canada, and I'm going two, three, four times a month, hell yes, I'm getting that membership for 10 bucks a month, and I can save 10, 20, 30 dollars a month just by using it. Why not? Yeah, I'd totally be all over it, dude. All right, next up. Uh, Wesley Cunningham writes, Hey, y'all. 
If you haven't heard word about it yet, I got recommended. I got to recommend Nine Days. This is the one with Winston Duke in it. I've been dying uh, to hear about this. I uh, went in not knowing much beyond the single vague trailer, but was amazed. Great slow burn, supernatural drama. Already liked him, but uh, but God damn it, Winston Duke is a fantastic actor. Listen, Winston Duke is instantly became like probably my favorite, if not favorite, tied for my favorite character in the whole Black Panther universe. M'Baku is life. I will follow M'Baku anywhere. And then, of course, he was really great in Us as well. It's, you know what it feels like? I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it, Rob, uh, but it feels like an A24 film. It really does. I think it's a Sony Pictures classic film, but it looks like an A24 film. I'll be frank with you. I really like the trailer a lot. But I can also see it being a trailer that doesn't appeal to a lot of people. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I don't think it's going to appeal to a wide audience, but it does look really good. You obviously haven't had a chance to see it yet, but you've been looking forward to it, Rob? And Rob's audio went out again. I don't know why. It just it just suddenly disappeared. Aaron, can I still hear you? Are you? Yeah, oh. I can hear you. And, 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 and Rob is back. back. Okay, try it again, Am Rob. I... Well, I was going to say... Um... You know, it's about apparently about souls waiting to be born. Like it's right. the nine days before. I'm like, I love that. That's like very Sandman esque, very Neil Gaiman kind of a story. And it looks it looks great to me. I can't wait. I got to see it. I don't know if you guys have seen um, as I open my new can of Zevia. Zevia Cola, sponsor me, you cheap, insufferable sons of bitches. Hey, you got uh, me stuck on it too. I'm drinking a little Zevia. Oh, uh, see, there you go. Look at all this damn free oh. promotion. Dude, I, I got I got Zevia. I got all kinds, and they're ginger root beer rules, too. Thank you very much, John Campia. Excuse yeah. me, Zevia, why aren't you sending me free sodas? They haven't sent me. Well, they're not they sending me free, free shit. We're buying this. We're, yeah. I and am the biggest cheap. marketing machine for that damn company on the planet. Uh, to be honest, they did send me a couple of free cases last year, but come on. Sponsor See, me. See, there you go. I, Ever since the power of suggestion. Oh, um, continued my have you seen this drink. trailer, Aaron? Have you seen the trailer for nine days? I have not seen the trailer. Unfortunately, my husband just texted me. Um, he is stuck on the side of the road. Our car apparently just died. Oh, no, and so I have to. I, I, he's like Tom's on the side of the highway freaking out right now. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to have to cut my visit a little short and go save my husband. Um, okay, well, go say hi to Tom. Thanks for being here, and we'll catch up with you later. Have a good one. Say hi to Tom Love you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Rob, just you and me again. Um, At least she didn't stand you up the way I did on Wednesday. <laughs> oh, so many women have stood me up over the years. All right, uh, let's move on here. Thanks a lot for the recommendation on that, Wesley. Uh, Dom's Vibranium Bicep writes, uh, Hope all is well. As a movie TV reviewer, what is the worst time you had biting your tongue on a review embargo? Um, hmm. That's a good question. It's always, whenever I really, you know what? It, it probably is for me, Rob. It's probably the help with, um, with Octavia Spencer and Emma Stone. Mm. It's probably the help. I love that movie so much. And I went to go see it, um, at the Disney lot. I believe it was the Disney lot. Was it Disney or was it Warner brothers? I can't remember. I, I, I'll go with Disney for now. Maybe it was one of the other ones, but I went to go see it. And I couldn't even tell people that I had seen it yet. And I was so bursting after watching it that I just put out on social media, 
I'm not allowed to say what movie, but I just saw a movie that reminds me about why I love the movies. And I just could not wait to talk about it. I mean, it just, I was bubbling over. These days, a lot of times, even if there are review embargoes, they say you can social media react right away. So there's not a lot of that. But but I'll say The Help is the one I really couldn't wait to talk about. What about you, Rob? Do you have one that uh, you saw, but had to wait to talk about it? Well, I've never really been, you know, embargoed because I wasn't officially, I haven't officially reviewed movies, but I was, I have to say, there was a movie that I didn't want to talk about because I felt bad. Escape from L.A. Oh, yeah. I, I'm like the biggest John Carpenter fan in the world, and I wrote an article about it for Sci-Fi Universe magazine, and when I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, I was disappointed. And I just, people kept asking me about it, and they're like, you got to come out and do your review. I'm like, ah, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want to talk about it. I get it. I s- still don't want to talk about it. All right, next up. Uh, John's Hammer writes, Hey, John, I don't know if you saw it or not, but both Ryan Reynolds and Simu Lu, by the way, I think that's an I in Simu. Um, Simu Lu, both Ryan Reynolds and Simu Lu tweeted at you today. This would have been uh, the other day. Uh, does stuff like that make you geek out or are you desensitized by stuff like that now? Uh, or desensitized to stuff like that by now? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, hey, listen, it was a good day for this Canadian kid uh, because, <laughs> yeah, I had both, on the same day, both Ryan Reynolds tweeted at me and Simu Lu tweeted at me. And I one was in response to, like I put up, hey, it's a, it's a great couple of weeks for good Canadian kids because you got Ryan Reynolds coming in Free Guy, which is awesome. Go out and see Free Guy, guys. By the way, guys, on Sunday, I believe at 3 p.m. on Sunday, we are going to do an open spoiler discussion of the new Ryan Reynolds film, Free Guy. So if you've seen the movie by then, make sure you come and watch it with us, too. It is uh, The movie's fantastic. Anyway. So I said, hey, we got Ryan Reynolds coming, Free Guy, and then we got good Canadian kids, Simu Lu, coming out in... Um, coming out in uh, Shang-Chi and then Ryan Reynolds tweeted something at me. I can't remember exactly what it was that he tweeted, whatever. And then I think the next day I mentioned online that I was going to be going to, um, going to go to the Shang-Chi premiere. And I said, my biggest mission is to get Simu Liu to sign this Kim's convenience Simpsons shirt that I have. And Simu Lu like tweeted back, hey, man, if I see it, I sign it, you know, whatever, stuff like that. Not, nothing big, nothing big, nothing like Ryan Reynolds or Simu Lu writing. I just want the world to know that John Campy is my favorite movie personality in the world. Like, it's nothing <laughs> like that. It was like minor. Even minor, though minor. you are. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously. I am the king of all media, Rob. That goes without saying. But um, it, was, it was just little insignificant things. Listen, I could pretend that I'm cool and say... Oh, nah, these celebs, when they retweet me or, or write a tweet at me, it's that's just another day. That's a fucking lie. The very, <laughs> as soon as I see on my freaking feed, Ryan Reynolds tweets some Emmy, the first thing I'm doing is I'm running to Ann's office. Eh, and like a freaking pathetic seven-year-old kid who just saw Big Bird for the first time. <laughs> like I still, and then Simu Lu had wrote back to me. Eh, and I'm like totally freaking out about it. Oh yeah, there's zero. There is zero cool to my game, Rob. There is zero <laughs> cool to my game. I no. Listen, at the end of the day, <clears throat> we say this a lot, but it's true. At the end of the day, I am a fucking nobody who is in a spare converted garage. Who I'm in a converted garage in my house, right? Who is at my very core 
a just a big, big movie fan. That's what I am. I'm a huge <laughs> movie geek. That's it. And are you kidding me? Yeah, I know the cool thing. Act. What do they say in the NFL? Like when you shouldn't celebrate too much in the end zone, they say, oh, act like you've been there before. I have no such dignity. I freak out. I do. I totally geek out and I freak out and I think it's just the coolest thing in the world. I think it's I think it's the most awesome thing in the world. And even so, the, Rob, we, we won't say what it was, but you know, Rob and I were talking off air a while ago because I had been contacted. I'm not going to name names here, but I had been contacted by somebody at a studio who let us know that a very important name was in a meeting with a bunch of people and they dropped, they name dropped the John Campia show in discussing one of the topics going on around the studio. And I, I, I told Rob about it. I'm like, oh my God, I just found out that so-and-so was watching our show. It's and true. I just completely, I'm just like geeking out about it, right? So yes, I, I still completely geek out about it. Rob, you know, you go to a bunch of things now. I mean, you've worked on sets of movies like Lord of the Rings and, and Narnia and a whole bunch of them. You've done a lot of Star Trek stuff and blah, blah. You're making movies. you got a movie getting a theatrical premiere here coming up with Tango Shalom. I don't know. Have you become desensitized to that when you get to either interact online with or meet one of these celebrities? How do you feel about it? No, it it, it you never get desensitized to it. I mean, for as many people as I've met, it's it, it whenever you see them, I you know, I you can't not if you're a movie fan and you've grown up with I mean, movies sort of in a way are religious experiences. Um, whenever you meet somebody involved, whether for me, it's it's usually directors that I get really starstruck with. Like, I'm, oh, my God. Um, but stars, too. I mean, stars, you know, I've met a lot of of stars and when you're in the room with them there's a reason why they're movie stars and it, i don't think it ever gets old you know it, it never gets old and what i do like is when you can have a substantive conversation with them uh, people have i found that when i've been able to meet people and act well-known people and and they we have a conversation uh we tend to have very good conversations because they're not used to getting that so that's always fun but it never gets old dude it never gets old, especially when you meet somebody that's made something that you tr particularly love. Like even when they're on Twitter, I've interacted with people that I that I am a huge fan of. Whenever I've had little interactions, I'm like, oh, my God, so and so retweeted me or tweeted back. It never gets old. It never gets old. You know, it's not unlike, say, a buddy of our or a friend of ours, uh, Scott Mance who I got to go and watch. Uh, I went to go watch uh, my first screening of Suicide Squad. I actually got to go and, and watch it with Scott. You know, we're, we're not like our buddy Scott Mance, who like every other day is running the Q&A for some big movie. And he's talking to like, I think he's probably on first name basis with Tom Cruise at this point And sure, whatever, like Emma Stone will go out of her way to go and see Scott. It's like, oh, yeah, to Scott, it's no big deal. F that. That's not me. I we I, we do not carry that level of cool. I just nope. I just freak out. I still just freak out anyway. Uh, OK, let's move on here, shall we? Next up, we've got your tribal chief who writes. Hypothetically speaking, if Thunder Force was released in theaters and you liked the trailers and saw it opening weekend, would you have walked out or suffered through it? That's a good question because that is, Rob, as bad as Fast 9 is, it's not the worst movie of the year. No. Thunder Force is the worst movie I've seen in <laughs> ages. Like in ages. And I, I am a Melissa McCarthy fan. I know Melissa McCarthy is not everybody's cup of tea. I am very pro Melissa McCarthy. 
I am not so pro her husband, <laughs> who every time he directs one of her movies, it is guaranteed to be complete and utter shite. And I feel bad saying that because everybody I've talked to who has ever either known them says he is one of like, honestly, they say he is like one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. That's all I ever hear about him. All I ever hear is that he is truly a wonderful person. That's all I've ever heard. I have never met him myself personally, but all I've ever heard about the dude is that he is absolute top shelf human being. But nobody lets him direct any movies other than Melissa McCarthy movies. And everyone that he has directed with her has been horrible. And Thunder Force is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And would I have walked out of it had I seen it in theaters? You know what? Probably not. Because, Rob, a a movie for me, because I've only ever walked out of maybe four or five movies in my life. And it's got to be more than just that the movie is really bad. There has to be something else there. Like with the Johnny Knoxville movie, The Ringer, I understood they were not, they were trying to do something good. I understood that. So I wasn't angry because I understood their, their motives were good. But when I was watching The Ringer, I felt like all the jokes, instead of laughing with the disabled or handicapped community, I felt like the jokes were laughing at them. And I know that wasn't their intention, but that it's, so I felt very uncomfortable watching the movie and I eventually just walked out. I, I eventually left. Um, so it's, it's things like that. But so no, even though it is one of the worst movies I've seen in years, I wouldn't have walked out of it. Rob, I never asked you, did you ever treat yourself to watching Thunder Force? I tried. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I was just like, I can't. You know what the problem was? It just wasn't that clever. And I, I'm like, come on. Did you? This has been done in so many different ways, so much better than this. And it was, I found it to be unbelievably annoying. And I, I, it should have been much better. That's what I, I guess I didn't like about it is that I'm, are you kidding? This is the best you can do? Like, have you not been? There's so many better things that you could have looked at to make this even this movie better and it made me angry yeah yeah okay anyway next up we go to luke one two three four who writes when star wars episode 10 comes out does it have an uphill battle because of episodes eight and nine having mixed reception from the audiences or has the success of mandalorian smoothed the audience's reception to another film honestly i don't i don't think it's going to be a problem i really because star wars is unique amongst all movie properties in history like star wars like unlike suicide squad where this one had an uphill battle partially because of the bad rep of the previous movie that was the first one and that was the people's only experience with suicide squad was that one movie whereas star wars is is something our grandparents watched and our parents watched and we watch and for some people my age, our kids have watched. You know, it is it is a generational thing that has had some of the best movies ever made and some terrible movies. But it ebbs and flows because, yeah, episode like I, I mean, personally, I, I like Rise. Sorry, I almost said the wrong one. I like The Last Jedi, although I have issues with it. 
I hated The Rise of Skywalker. I hated that movie. I made a full 40-minute video kind of walking through why I did. But, you know, there are... I really like Rebels. I don't like Clone Wars. Um, I, I love Rogue One. I don't like the prequels. You know, so back and forth. But it's Star Wars. And I think that anything new that is Star Wars proper coming out like I don't think if you do another droids animated series I don't think that's going to carry the panache with it but if <laughs> whenever you do Star Wars proper I think you're going to have that excitement and Mandalorian's a great example of that like yeah you can have a bad bad thing but then have a great thing can but, I ask you a question yeah please do you consider Mandalorian Star Wars proper I do it's live action in that see, world in that universe I kind I kind of do I could see an argument against that but I personally do I do too. That's uh, why I asked you. I do too. Yeah. So, I mean, I so I'm going to say no, Rob. I don't know. Do you think whenever Star Wars? Ep- oh, by the way, the time there's going to be a couple of years, number of years between Star Wars Episode Nine and whenever they do Star Wars Episode Ten. That's going to help it as well. But when they do a Star Wars Episode Ten, assuming, I think it's fairly safe to say it will not be Ray, Poe, Finn. It's not. It's going to be a new set of characters, but. When they do eventually come out with a Star Wars episode 10, do you think it's going to face an uphill battle like some other franchises would coming off of weak installments? Or do you think this is something that supersedes that? No, I, I, I think I think Star Wars, everybody, everybody goes into a new Star Wars project wanting it to be great. I think of all the of all the franchises, Star Wars has the most goodwill. It, 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 it takes a lot for you to lose your audience. And I think that if, if Star Wars Episode Ten came out and introduced new characters and it was it's set 50 years into the future or something, and um, I think people would would flock to it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, geez, I just saw the time, Rob. We've already kept you over time. My apologies for that. But, Rob, thank you so much for being here today. And I hope you have a great weekend planned ahead of you. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your goodness until we see you on Monday again? Uh, you can find me on on social media, on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. Pleasure is always. Great job. And I will talk to you again on Monday. Have a good one. All right. Ladies you and gentlemen, too. the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And I'm going to take off. You guys always notice the the headphone indentation in my hair whenever I take, I look like a, what, what is that thing the Jewish culture has? Is that a yarmulke? I look like if from, from the right angle, it looks like I've got a little hair colored yarmulke on the top of my head. Anyway, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. All right. We still got some time here, guys. So let's keep on going through your questions here, shall we? Next one up comes from C110P, who writes, One of the Comic-Cons before COVID, Margot Robbie said in an interview that the reason she made Birds of Prey was because Harley is her favorite character. Do you think that was kind of selfish? Do you think that was kind of selfish of her to make a movie uh, almost nobody wanted to see because of her love for Quinn? No. No, listen. Why do you think George Lucas made Star Wars? Because he loved his story. So he wanted to make his story. Was anybody asking for Star Wars at the time? No. 
I mean, listen, a lot of actors do pro a lot of directors and writers and producers and stars, whatever they do things because they love the property they're looking at, whether it's an original property or something from their childhood or something that they're just familiar with, whatever, uh, but no, it's not selfish. And by the way, as much as I was not looking forward to Birds of Prey, I, I didn't like the concept of it to start with. A lot of people were very excited. Don't try to rewrite history. A lot of people were very excited for Birds of Prey when they first announced it. I wasn't, and you weren't, but a lot of people were. So, no, it was not selfish of her to want to do a movie because it had a character that she was excited about. That's ridiculous. Now, I say that in all love, my film love and brother, C1, in all love. I just say that is a ridiculous notion. All right, next up. Uh, Madhu Vatten writes, Love the Suicide Squad. Watched it for a second time yesterday. Theater was almost full, which was great. Good to hear. And earlier today, I went to an early screening of Free Guy. Awesome. And it was also great. Really fun and charming. It feels like the movies are finally back. Dude, I'll tell you what. It's the first time in ages that I actually went to two movies in theaters and just had such a blast at both. Suicide Squad is so freaking fantastic. It's unbelievable. Free Guy is so wonderfully entertaining. Um, I just, you know, Ann and I saw Free Guy for a second time last night in the theaters with a, with a, an audience. And just so much fun. So much laughing. Such a wonderful, wonderful time at the films. Do yourself a favor, guys. Go double feature that shit. Go see Suicide Squad and Free Guy. I think you're going to have a good time. All right, next up. Uh, Mark Hansen writes, John, have you seen the trailer for Netflix's Worth, the one with Michael Keaton? Yes, starring Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci. I know net Netflix, but it looked really good to me. It looks to be about the lawyer tasked with financial settlements of victims of 9-11. Yeah, it's funny because two trailers have come out recently, both with Michael Keaton kind of at the heart of it. One is Worth, and one, I can't remember, do you, do you guys know the other trailer I'm talking about where he plays the doctor and it's all about, no, but it's not for a movie, it's for a series. It's about the Oxycontin uh, addiction that started going around. Anyway, that was a really good looking trailer. That one about Oxycontin, that one looked really, really interesting. Uh, Dope Sick, is that, Anch, is that what the name of it is? Dope Sick? I don't remember the name, but I'll go with you on that. Oh, CRB is also saying Dope Sick, so is Dominic. Thank you, Kate, Dope Sick. Oh yeah, Rosario Dawson's in it. I always get excited about Rosario Dawson. I turn into a little schoolboy. Rosario Dawson. Uh, that looks great too. Um, And yes, the trailer for Worth looks really good. And fair or unfair, my assumption is the movie's going to suck. Because it's in Netflix. Nine out of ten of Netflix movies suck. So I just assume it's going to suck. Now, I am open to being pleasantly surprised. Like I was with Old Guard, right? I am totally open to being pleasantly surprised. Because, you know, it's Michael Keaton. The subject matter's fantastic. The trailer looks good. So I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm just, I got to admit, I'm going in uh, kind of assuming that it's probably going to suck. Um, that, that's it. Uh, Dope Sick, totally different. I mean, that's a series. It's going to be on Hulu. I'm very, very excited about that. But, you know, they have a better track record. But uh, I just hate that. Anyway. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Stubble McShave who writes, is it just me or do you agree with, okay, is it just me or do you agree with that uh, TV series that's exclusively on streaming service have a perceived higher status than a movie that's released exclusively on a, on a stream service? Absolutely, Stubble. I've said that myself many times. But it's all because of track record. You know, if you look at things like um, 
Disney Plus specifically, if you look at Netflix, if you look at HBO Max, I feel like the majority, not all, but the majority of these exclusive stream TV series tend to have very good quality. Some magnificent, some pretty good, and a few that kind of suck. But the ratio, the ratio of good to suck is pretty good in the good favor. As opposed to movies that go straight to home video, that go straight to home, that go straight to a streaming service, the good to suck ratio leans far heavier on the suck end. Say that, you know, somebody just tuned in just as I said, suck end. What the hell are they talking about? I don't know, honey. He just said suck end. Anyway, the ratio for streaming series leans heavily towards the good. The ratio for streamed movies leans heavily towards suck. So because of that track record, yeah, you're right. The perception is a new streaming series. Great. A new streaming movie. eh, Maybe we'll look at it. You know, that's, and again, Whether that's fair or unfair, you may be yelling at me at your screen right now saying, John, that's unfair. Maybe it is unfair, but it is the perception. So I don't think you're wrong about that, Stubble. All right, here's hoping that changes. All right, BK Dan writes, John, uh, today in entertainment history, August 11th, which was yesterday, August 11th, 2014, we lost the GOAT Robin Williams. Yeah, I still remember. I still remember we were doing AMC Movie Talk, and it was the first time that we did a pre-segment before the opening music of movie talk started and i had actually written out my thoughts it was the first time ever for me that the death of a celebrity actually emotionally shook me and i'll have to go back and see if i can find the episode of amc movie talk that it was but i remember we addressed it first before we even started the show like the camera came on and we just immediately addressed the passing of Robin Williams. And again, like I said, I I had never had a celebrity death move me because I don't know these people. I mean, it's sad, but I don't know them. But when Robin Williams died, I was really sad. It wasn't just a sad thing. I was sad. And I'll never forget even talking, do my my little pre-introduction monologue. I, I had a tough time getting through it without crying. It was weird. Uh, but yeah, we lost an absolute giant. We lost a giant. Anyway, thanks for that, BK. All right, next up, Stubble McShave writes, would you like to see, or would, would you like to see, what? Would you like to see, would I like to see what? Um, would you like to see, and do you think we'll ever see a Joker and Harley movie in the style of natural born killers with a budget of around 40 million that you'll never be able to do that for around 40 million. Anyway, uh, with that budget, it wouldn't have to make 600 million to be successful. Well, I mean, you can have a budget of a hundred million dollars and it doesn't need 600 million to be successful. I, I mean, you could do a $175 million Harley and Joker movie, and it wouldn't have to make 600 million to be successful. Anyway, would I be interested in seeing the Jared Leto Joker that we saw in Suicide Squad and at the end of uh, HBO's Justice League with this Harley Quinn, with that destructive, toxic, awful, 
codependent relationship that they had in the first Suicide Squad. Hell yes, I want to see that movie. I've said that forever. I would absolutely love to see that movie. I totally, I wouldn't be able to take my eyes off it. I would love to see it. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, John, the next Kaiju movie should be Godzilla, <laughs> should be Godzilla versus Dom Toretto, Rise of the Family. Listen, and I'm telling you what, you may laugh. I guarantee you, if they made that movie, they're only making it if Vin Diesel got to be a producer on it and Vin Diesel would find a way to explain that Dominic Toretto wins that fight. I'm not even using hyperbole. I'm dead serious. They would have the only way they would make it happen is if Dominic Toretto won that fight. I'm just telling you right now, that's exactly what would happen. All right. Dave XP writes, um, what do you think of Marvel's trend of releasing five trailers of the same movie in one week? Uh, they are always named different, like Rise or Power, but since they just seem to be recuts of the main trailer, I find myself not clicking on them anymore. I don't watch them. I don't watch... Like, I always watch new trailers. Like, when there's new legitimate trailers come out, I always wa- I do watch them. But these little things that they they drop aren't really trailers. They're They're more like ad spots. And you're right. Most of the time, it's not new footage. It's like a 30-second spot with 28 seconds of footage we've seen before, maybe cut in a different order, and then with two additional new seconds of something. You know what I mean? I stopped watching those things. I, I haven't watched those for years. I basically watch only the featurettes, and I watch the uh, I watch the new trailers. And that's about it. But all these other things. But listen, it doesn't really cost them anything. They dump them on YouTube. They put them online. I mean, it's basically the same footage as before. So they're, they're, all they have to do is get some college kid to reorder it and recut it a little bit. I don't mind them putting it out. I just don't watch them. I mean, that's just that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Ishmael Montoya writes, Hey, John, I really enjoy everything from the MCU. Their movies slash shows are great, except this new series. What if? It seems boring in my point of view. Uh, is it MCU canon or not? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Well, yeah, I listen. I, I just watched the Captain Carter, the first episode. Not great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't have any complaints about it. It didn't suck. It's not awful. I just didn't find it to be particularly interesting. Uh, that's just me. Is it canon or not? Well, there's two answers to that. Is it canon technically or is it canon really? It is canon technically. I mean, one of the producers of the show was just talking about in that this happens in some splint off time variation thing. So it's real. It happens in one of the millions of time variations. But is it canon really? Like, will we actually see the implications of the things we see in a what if show in an actual MCU movie? I don't think so. I mean, anything's possible. I'm not guaranteeing that. Not at all. But I, if you're asking me, no, I don't think so. Like, we're not going to see little skinny Steve Rogers who operates a big giant Iron Man suit. We're not going to see that pop up in the next Avengers movie. You know, so is it technically canon? Depending on how you define that, I suppose. But is it practically canon? Is it really canon? No, I don't think so. Not at all. It is what if. It is literally what if. And I do hope it gets better because the Captain Carter one did not impress me. Again, I didn't hate it. 
I didn't hate it, and I'm sure a lot of you guys did enjoy it, and that's awesome. But for me, it was like, meh, I don't know. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how the rest of it goes. All right, next up. Sergeant Ward writes, Over under 50%, Warner Discovery gives Dune and the Suicide Squad pity sequels for getting backstabbed by the previous owners or low chance or high. Well, here's the thing. There's no such thing as spending pity money. Business is business. Like maybe an an idiot 14-year-old will go, well, no, no, a real business is not going to go, yeah, let's drop $200 million on producing and marketing some movie just out of pity. That's not how real professionals do business. No. But could I see Discovery look at Suicide Squad, Discovery who is going to be owning Warner Brothers here pretty soon, Could I see Discovery going, you know what? The previous management botched this movie and how they handled it. The movie itself is brilliant, but how they handled it, the circumstances surrounding it, the day and date release nonsense, all that kind of stuff, they botched it. We believe that if we make another one, because people who saw this movie loved it and were developing a reputation for it, and we believe that if we do finance another one, We believe that if we handle it properly, the second one could be profitable. Could I see that happening? Yes, that's a possibility. But they would never just do a pity. Nobody throws away $100 million on pity stuff. No, they're in this business to make money. And if they do another Dune... And we'll have to see how Dune does at the box office when it comes out. But if they do another Dune and or they do another Suicide Squad, it'll be because they see a path to profitability. They see that if this is done the right way, we can make money. That's why they'll do it. Not not out of pity, though. It wouldn't be out of pity. Uh, pity sequels. Uh, next up, uh, BK Dan writes, John and crew, no spoilers, but got to say, what if is a perfect matchup of Aeon Flux from MTV early to mid 90s and Marvel? Again, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I will say this. I've seen a lot of people complimenting the animation style of what if, and I'll agree with that. I thought the animation looked good. It's it's very unique. Um, I don't really recognize it as being too similar to other things I've seen, but I did think the one good thing I'll say about what if is that I do agree. I think the animation style was actually pretty solid. I think the animation's good. All right, next up. Diego uh, Higuros writes, Hey, John, greetings from Guatemala. Thank you for writing in from Guatemala, Diego. I have been a huge fan of your show. It helps my mental health. I have seen the Suicide Squad twice in IMAX, and I loved it. It is one of my favorite IMAX experiences. Did you watch the film in IMAX? I did not watch the film in IMAX. Um, and the main reason I didn't watch it in IMAX is not because I don't like IMAX. I do. If I have a choice of seeing a movie on an IMAX screen or in a regular theater, I'll watch it on the IMAX screen. But if I have the choice of watching a movie in an AMC Prime Dolby Cinema or an IMAX screen... I'll take the Dolby at AMC every single time, every single time. So the first press screening I saw of Suicide Squad was not in an IMAX. So I don't have a choice in that. I just got to watch it in whatever theater they're showing us for the press screening. But then when I went to go see it again, uh, yeah, I went to go see it in the AMC Dolby. 
because that to me is an even better experience than um, than IMAX. It's just you know that dual laser projection system with that Atmos sound. It's just it's just a better experience for me. Plus, you got the the plush leather recliners. It's just the better experience for me. So no, I have not seen it in IMAX. But man. With those visuals, with the Starro thing, and with the opening beach stuff, I bet on IMAX that probably looked pretty damn good, man. I bet that probably looked pretty damn good. All right, next up, we move on to uh, Dangerous D, who writes, I've been thinking, DC movies can start their own MonsterVerse. Uh, James Wan wanted to do a trench spinoff from Aquaman. They got Starro the Conqueror, and they introduced Solomon Grundy as a Frankenstein figure. What about, are you down for DC's Monster Universe? No, not in the least. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't all that interested in the trench project. And so I, I really wasn't surprised when they canceled it. Now, did I think the trench scene in Aquaman was a good scene? Yes. And by the way, our friend Donald Thomas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donald. Appreciate that, man. Um, do I think the trench scene with the monsters and everything was a good scene? Yes. Do I want a movie about it? No. Did I think Starro was a great thing to have in Suicide Squad? Yes. Do I want a movie about Starro? No. So... Uh, I got to admit, like these little things, they make great additions to a movie and they can add a new flavor to it. But would I be interested in seeing that? No. And oh my God, that would flop. I don't think there'd be a lot of people in the general movie going audience that would be interested in seeing it. But that's just my take on it. That's just my take on it. Thanks for asking, Dangerous D. Right, next up, NCK writes, uh, Hey, John, I listened to what Kimberly thinks of Harley Quinn and I was like, really? Do people love Harley Quinn so much that they would miss her if we didn't see her for five years? I think there are some people that really would. Yes. What? Harley is actually Michelle Obama and I haven't no and I haven't received the memo. To me, she's a good artistically limited B, uh, B category DC character. She's a psychopath gymnast with a bat abused by the Joker or pampered by Ivy. That's all. Okay. Yeah. But let me just say this NCK. Whenever people verbally try to be reductive of a, of a character, you can play that with any character. Like if you ever want to just be reductive of a character and just kind of diminish them by saying, oh, so what? she's just a psychopath who's a gymnast with a bat and she's abused by a joker. I mean, you can play that game with any character. So Superman, there was nothing about him. He's just a baby and his parents shot him to another planet. I mean, so, so what's so special, right? You can do that with any character you want. So it's it's not a good game to get involved in. Anyway, uh, abused by a Joker and pampered by Ivy. That's all. And yeah, yeah, Harley Quinzel is dressed as a Harlequin. That's funny. Ha ha. Uh, and she's a role model for little girls. Really? I don't remember anybody saying Harley Quinn is a role model for the little girls. I, I'm, I'm certainly nobody in this room. I don't remember hearing anybody say that Harley Quinn is a role model for little girls. I have not seen anybody say that. Um, so why do some people want to set this psychopath as a model of female emancipation? Other than some young women wanting to look edgy, no one ever talks about her. That's not true at all. Uh, even comic book readers, uh, girls and teens are more interested in Paw Patrol that's just ignorant uh, and TikTok influencers than anything else. The showbiz always seems to believe that everyday people have the same ideological concerns as they do, but they're wrong. Nobody cares. Give me a good Wonder Woman film for it or for. Well, I mean, look, honestly, I can tell you this NCK, 
you are allowing your worldview that is maybe shared by you and a couple of buddies. And you think that that little dome of sphere is then what everybody thinks and feels as somebody's whose job it is to hear from hundreds and thousands of movie fans every day. I can tell you, you are a thousand percent wrong about your take on Harley Quinn. Not, not that you're wrong and not caring about the character and not that you're wrong and not thinking she's all that good of a character. That's a subjective opinion. And your subjective opinion is every bit as valid as mine. There's nothing wrong with that. But in your perception that nobody cares about Harley Quinn, as somebody whose job it is to hear from thousands of film fans every day, I can tell you, you are objectively wrong. You are absolutely incorrect. A thousand percent incorrect. Uh, there are a lot of people who like coming out. First of all, a lot of people love the Harley Quinn character before the first Suicide Squad movie. And then in Suicide Squad, even though a lot of people didn't like the movie, people seem to love Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. They love that character. Hell, that Halloween, that's all you saw everywhere was people dressed as Harley Quinn. Just like when The Dark Knight came out, all you saw that Halloween was people dressed as Heath Ledger's Joker. I mean, the pop cultural impact of that was undeniable. And despite the fact that I had no interest in Birds of Prey, fact of the matter is it made hundreds of millions of dollars. So they're making it because there are people who want to see it. A lot of people who want to see it. But, you know, that doesn't mean it's always going to be successful. Not at all, but yeah, I can tell you again, I understand you don't hear from thousands of film fans every day talking to you and stuff like that. So you don't hear everything that I hear. I get that. But as somebody who does hear from thousands of film fans every day, I can tell you there is a lot of very strong interest in Harley Quinn. Not that everybody loves the way they've executed it. Not that everybody loves the movies that she's been in so far. Some have, some haven't. Not at all. But I can absolutely tell you, you are dead incorrect with your assertion that generally speaking, nobody cares about Harley Quinn. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. You're just going to take my word for it. You're just going to take my word for it. All right. Anyway, next up. Um, Dad Jokes writes, Ho, John. Sorry to do this, but it's pronounced Ben. Fo- oh, yeah, I knew this. So the other day we were talking about which actor were we talking about? We were talking about an underappreciated actor. And I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. But then I said, you know, the only other person who I think is a more underappreciated actor is probably Ben. And what, what I accidentally said was Forrester. I don't know if I was thinking of finding Forrester in the back of my men, but instead of saying Ben Foster, I kept pronouncing it Ben Forrester. I don't know why I did that. But yes, it is definitely uh, Ben Forrest or Foster. See, I just said Forrest. I'm still stuck on Forrester. Ben Foster. I've been a huge Ben Foster fan forever, but you know what it's, it's like? You Your brain gets on one thing, so you just keep saying it the wrong way, and I kept on saying Ben Forrester when I meant to say Ben Foster. So yes, you're absolutely right about that, dad jokes. Anyway, um, not a Forrester. Forrester is a different actor. Also, I had just a possible epiphany. You were talking about the Suicide Squad versus Superman, and I asked myself, can Polka Dot Man kill Superman? Those dots. Um, I'm going to guess no. <clears throat> Because those dots are very destructive, but so is a machine gun. You know, you fire, if you had a machine gun that could put out a thousand rounds a minute, they would cut down the gun tower. They would blow those people away. But just because they blew away human flesh doesn't mean they would affect Superman. 
So my guess, and it's only a guess, only James Gunn can answer this question. Because James Gunn is the one who is creating this world. I do not believe polka dot man's polka dots could hurt Superman. Now, James Gunn may say, actually, in my universe, this polka dot man, his polka dots would have gone through Superman as well. Then I'll let James Gunn say that. But my guess, in the absence of James Gunn giving a definitive answer, my guess is that no, polka dot man's polka dots could not hurt Superman. That's my guess. I mean, because what did we see his polka dots do? They cut through flesh and they cut through some wood. Ain't none of them was a Kryptonian. So that's going to be my guess. But again, it's only a guess. It's only a guess. All right, next up. Uh, James L.H. writes. Oh, crap. We're already past two o'clock. Okay, this will be the last one here today, guys. James L.H. writes. Hey, John, one of two. I mentioned last week at Cineworld reintroduced secret screenings. Right, I remember you saying that. I went Wednesday evening and there was a cheer from the audience. That's because the film was free, guy. Now, I had already planned on going on the weekend, so it was a nice surprise to see it a little bit earlier, as now I can go again on the weekend because I love this film. Firstly, it's funny, it has heart, fun Easter eggs, Ryan as usual is great, Jody is so good, but I always supported her being from my city of Liverpool. Such a fun time. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed, enjoyed it, James. Yeah, like, like, like I said, the last couple of movies I've got to watch actually in a theater have been so much ridiculous fun. Suicide Squad and Free Guy. And uh, they're both a blast. They're both fantastic. If you haven't had a chance to go out and see these ones yet, do get out and see them. Go treat yourself. Go watch these things. Suicide Squad, Free Guy, or Free Guy and Suicide Squad. Go do a double feature, whatever, and go have yourselves a good time. All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come here from Anton, Brian, the 8th, and others on. Do not worry. I'm going to do a very big, long a companion video this weekend. We'll get all caught up. But also, guys, don't forget, that if you have seen Free Guy, like James L.H. has, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, you guys can look up whatever that means in your time zone, At on Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, we are going to be doing an open spoiler discussion of Free Guy. So if you've seen the movie by then, make sure you come on back and watch it. If you haven't seen it yet, make sure you go see it in time for our open spoiler discussion, then come back and join us for that. But until then, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Thanks again to Aaron Cummings and Robert Meyer Burnett for being here as well. Guys, don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>